Matthew chapter 7. We looked last week at the two gates, the two ways, the two destinations. There are only two. There are not many ways. Only two gates. Only two ways, two destinations. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. And we got to start at the gate, obviously. And Jesus said to enter through the narrow gate. And we know from Scripture that Jesus himself is the narrow gate. And, and he's the only gate that leads to life. The only gate. No other gate leads to life. It says he leads to life. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the wide gate, though, on the other hand, it takes no effort at all. It just, we just automatically, we're going down that way, through that wide gate, down that wide path, heading to a certain destruction, separation from God now and eternally. And that's what hell is. And, and the thing is, this is not what God wants. In 2 Peter, Peter says that the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God does not desire in the death of the wicked. He wants us to come to Him. And that's, that's what His heart is. So we have two gates, two paths, and two destinations, and the question, the eternal question for you and for me is which gate, which road, and which, which destination is it that, that we are heading to? Joshua said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And in the book of Revelation, the last chapter, almost the last verse, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. At the end of the book, what it's all about is, is that we need to make a decision for Jesus Christ and come and take it. It's free. It's a free gift. It's been purchased. The, the price has been paid, and Jesus paid the price. We don't pay the price. We simply accept what He's given to us, free gift, given to us by His grace, unearned. Now, coming to the last three parts of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, there's two warnings and there's a challenge. The first warning is about false prophets and false teachers. The second is about truly knowing Him. And the third is about a challenge for us to put into practice His Word. We read His Word, we listen to it. But the challenge is to put it into practice. So today we're going to look at the first one about false prophets and false teaching. In the beginning of chapter 7 it says do not judge, but he meant to not be you know, critical, not to be condemning, but also to look at ourselves first and examine our own lives before we start looking at everybody else's lives. But he did not mean to throw out discernment and any kind of, you know, clear thinking. Because here in the same chapter, he says, watch out for false prophets. He didn't say, don't ever look at what somebody's saying. Don't ever think about what they're saying. Don't look at their lives. And this is what he's saying here. So look at verse 15. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And we're just going to look at these verses here, 15 through 20. He says to watch out and be on guard against false prophets. Don't be foolish. Don't be naive. Don't be gullible. 
And sad to say is that we, we've seen it throughout history where people have just been plain gullible and accepted anything and everything that comes down the pike comes and, and, and you see, you hear something and somebody who proclaims to be such and such, just whatever they say, oh, that sounds good, and they just kind of accept it. The Jews at that time, they knew all about false prophets because it's a sad but true fact is that in Scripture there's this recurring theme from the Old Testament all the way to New. You've got to watch out for false prophets, false teaching, false teachers, people who come along and, and lead in different directions than the, than the truth. It says here that they come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, uh, you know, I, I've never, I have never heard a false prophet come up and say, oh, by the way, I'm a false prophet, and I'd like you to follow and buy into everything that I have to tell you. I've never heard one say that. In fact, they, they do just the opposite, don't they? They don't announce they're false. They come and say, this is the way, right? What I'm telling you is the truth. They look, they talk, they pretend. But, but the truth of the matter is not all who claim to be Christians are. Not all who claim to be prophets or teachers who claim to speak for God are truly speaking for God. That's, the, that's what Jesus is saying here. Watch out. Be on guard. Don't just accept anything and everything. It says in 2 Corinthians 11, he, uh, Paul was dealing with it as well. Much later uh, in the history of the church, uh, he, said, he said, speaking about false apostles, he says they are deceitful workmen. They're masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's, no, it's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, but their end will be what their actions deserve. So they come in and they masquerade. You can't always go by just the way things look, the outward appearance, or what somebody says they are. They're learning, he says, from Satan himself. He masquerades as an angel of light. Satan doesn't come in and, you know, we kind of get this thing and we're coming up to Halloween and, you know, that Satan is all, you know, spooky and all this weird stuff, you know. There is a lot of that, and I think a lot of that is definitely demonic, uh, demonically inspired. But, but Satan doesn't always just come like that. He comes in and, and pre pretends to be the truth, pretends to be right, and masquerades as an angel of light when, when in fact he's, he's full of darkness. There's no light in him. There's no truth in him. It's all deception, lies. So these false prophets, they're pretty much following their, their uh, true leader, but he says inwardly, outwardly they might pretend, pretend and masquerade, but inwardly he says they're ferocious wolves. They're not sheep at all, but they're wolves. And, and if you know about wolves, wolves are not very you know, friendly, nice creatures. They have long fangs and sharp, uh, uh, strong jaws, and, and they, you know, they have ways of doing things, and they work in packs, and they can go after and, and tear up. Somebody said this, uh, that the false teachers, they prey on the immature, the unstable, and the gullible. They prey on the immature, the unstable, and the gullible. Immature, unstable, and gullible. They're looking for those. They, they prey on that, and they, they, they take it. We're going to look at the marks of a, 
false teacher and a false prophet in a minute. But in, in uh, Acts chapter 20, Paul speaks to the elders at Ephesus and he, he, he tells them, basically, they need to be on the lookout. They need to be in uh, watching out, to the overseers watching over to see what you know, is going on in the church. And he tells, them, he tells them this, he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Paul the Apostle knew in that day that, that there were going to be people that came along and, and they were really wolves. But again, they wouldn't pretend, they wouldn't, you know, say they were wolves. They'd pretend to be something they were not. So how do we know? That's the, the big question. How do we know? What do we look for? Look at verse 16. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Like every good tree, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Uh, good fruit. So he says, he says, this is what you need to look for. You need to look for their fruit. And by their fruit, you will recognize them. And, and so we all kind of need to be, you know, fruit inspectors, you know? We need to be fruit inspectors. And, you know, you, when you go to the store and you buy fruit, you don't just take whatever's there, right? You look at it, at least in this country. Some countries, you don't get that choice. You get what they give you. But we, you know, we like to look at it, handle it. And I hate it when you go and it's all prepackaged, you know, in some stores. And you can't choose the bad ones, uh, throw the bad ones out and, and take the good ones. You, you know what I'm saying? But he says we need to be inspecting the fruit, now, does that mean we, you know, we're critical of everybody and we're, you know, we're, we're, you know, we look at every little thing and all that? What he's talking about here in, the, in the, this context, the fruit, is, is two things. Number one is this, is their teaching and the results of their teaching. And number two is their lives and their character and conduct. So their teaching and their lives, you need to look at both of those. And you need to examine both of them and, and ask, you know, certain questions you don't just take it all without asking certain questions and thinking about it. And I think that we've been faithful in teaching that here, that you need to, to be discerning. And, and if I start you know, telling you stories about um, papyrus um, typeface, you, know, you need to say, you know, I, don't, I don't want that. And you need to start looking for another church. Oops. So two things, the teaching and the lives. Number one, about their teaching and, and the results of their teaching. Number one, and this is always true, is their teaching from the Word of God, is it backed up by Scripture? Yeah. If it's not backed up by Scripture, then definitely just go somewhere else. Sometimes we think it's our, you know, it's our duty to expose them and to, you know, well, God is going to expose false teaching. And false teachers. And, and in the end, what Jesus says is that you will be able to recognize and, and the truth of these things will come out. Just give it a little bit of time. Give it some time. It will come out, the fruit that comes from the teaching. So is it backed up by Scripture? Uh, is there fruit from the, te from the teaching itself? Are there, are there people that are coming to Jesus? Or are the people coming to them? To the teachers, the false teachers? The false prophets. Are people growing in grace? Are people learning? Are they growing in the knowledge of Jesus? Are people growing in their understanding of the scripture of the word? 
Are they growing in fellowship, growing in prayer? Are their lives being changed? We're talking about the narrow path and the, the wide path. Are, are we being helped along this path? James Boyce said this. He was a pastor and a Bible commentator in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia for many years. He says, let me put it this way. He says, does the teaching you are receiving satisfy your soul? Does it bring you closer to God? Does it equip you to live for Jesus Christ at home and in your place of work? Does it make you less selfish? Does it prompt you to help and serve other people when you have an opportunity to do so? If it does not, find teaching that does. Find a place where the teaching takes root and flourishes in growth and spiritual satisfaction. He says the only instruction that will ever satisfy you in this way is accurate Bible teaching. Accurate Bible teaching. Sad to say, nowadays, you know, there are many, many places who, yeah, they have, they might even read the Bible, they might even talk about the Bible, but as far as solid, you know, accurate Bible teaching, they've thrown it out. And they've picked up just the ways of the world and they've brought it all in. That's why we have so many problems. The authority of the Scripture has been diluted. Well, it's Scripture plus. This is always one of the big problems. Scripture plus. Scripture plus, you know, my understanding of it or my slant on it or my book that I wrote or, or this publication or that publication. The teaching, you've got to look at the teaching. You've got to say, is this biblical, number one? The second thing is, is their lives, their character and conduct, does it, does it match up to the Scripture? Are, are, are those that are teaching, is there, is there a consistency between what they're saying and how they're living? Or are they completely different? Are they saying one thing and, you know, saying this over here? On the other hand, uh, over here, you know, out partying it up and doing all these crazy things. Living an extravagant lifestyle. Seven houses and seven boats. Well, seven, the number seven is good. <laughs> is there humility? Are they set apart to God? What's going on in their families? How do they treat their spouses and their kids? You know, there, there's a higher accountability for someone who would step up and say, I'm going to teach. He talks about it in James. There's a higher accountability. You're held to a, a closer accountability and a closer standard. So if you don't want to be looked at, then don't teach. Don't get up and say you're going to be a teacher. It, it, it's not easy. It's, it's difficult. But in the end, the truth comes out, and it will show. Perhaps they're, you know, we're able to hide things and, and whatever, but in the end it will show, it will come out. Ultimately what we are will be seen. Now that doesn't mean, and I was looking at these verses, and it doesn't mean that at times even believers will blow it, because we do. But this consistent direction, this consistent pattern, that path is what's in view here. Is there, is there a truly consistency be, between what's being taught and what's being lived out? Of course, that, that principle applies to all of us, doesn't it? If we're truly believers, we will truly be walking and following after Jesus. Or, you know, we'll, we'll see this next, next time when we look at it. You know, we can say, Lord, Lord, we can, we can even do certain things, but if, we, if we're not truly living the life and following and knowing Jesus as, as our personal Savior and have a personal relationship with Him, 
we may be still on our way to hell and, 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 and think that everything is cool, everything's okay. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire, he says in verse 19. There's, a, there's an end. The fruit of the path that we're on, the direction that we're heading, ultimately, though, God will judge. Ultimately, God will judge. We need to be discerning, yes. But, but there is a sense, too, that we can't exactly know what's going on inside of a person's heart. And we can look and see and we can, you know... Uh, Look at the fruit in their lives. Is there any fruit or is there not any fruit? But ultimately, we can't really know what's going on inside of a person. God alone knows the heart. And so there are sometimes we just have, we need to back off and say, well, let's just wait and see. Let's just wait and see. And, and that's kind of what we see here too. Wait and see the, the fruit that will come out. Fruit doesn't happen overnight, right? Fruit takes a long time, months and months, for fruit to happen on, on fruit trees. But ultimately, God is the judge. Verse 20, it says this, Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. So he says to watch out, to be on guard. And, and again, don't believe everything you hear or read or see. Sometimes we think if it's written, it's true. There's a lot of weird stuff. If, we, if it's on TV, it's true. What? It's probably the opposite. Just about everything on TV is not true. So the marks of a false prophet or a false teacher, let me, let me uh, go through a few of these. Number one, we have already talked about it. There's no fruit. The, the teaching is, is kind of strange or weird maybe and goes off in certain weird directions um, and, and their lives, something's not right there. No fruit. Another thing uh, it says it talks about in Deuteronomy is, is this, that, that what they say doesn't come to pass. They come and they say, you know, God is telling us this. God is saying such and such and such and such. Well, when you get up and presume to speak for God and then it doesn't come to pass, guess what? You are what? A false prophet. Because if you, speak, if you proclaim to speak from God, he says in Deuteronomy, if, if what a prophet? He says, how can we, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord. This is Deuteronomy 18. He says, how can we know? He says, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. He's got some weird idea. And sometimes you need to wait and see. Well, that sounds kind of weird, but let me think about that. Let me check the scripture. Let me, let's wait and see if what he's saying is true or not. Another thing about, uh, and this is very common today, is, is false prophets and false teachers that they, they say what people want to hear. They say what people want to hear. Rather than what the Bible says, what God is saying by His Spirit through His Word, they say what people want to hear. In Jeremiah it happened. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. Jeremiah says about these ones, he says, they fill you with false hope. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. They fill you with false hope. They speak visions from their own minds. And they keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say no harm will come to you. Telling people you're okay. You're, you're fine. Even though they're, they're walking in a very destructive, dangerous path. Peter says this, that 
that those who would be false, he says, they would, they would mouth empty boastful words and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. Appealing to the flesh. Appealing to the, to the desires of sinful human nature. And, and then Paul, uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy that these teachers, they, they don't put up with sound doctrine, or people don't put up with sound doctrine. It says, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. See, it's not just the fault of these false apostles, though that's bad enough. But the people themselves, too, you know, they want to gather teachers to themselves that will say just what they want to hear. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's okay that that's, you're doing that. Oh, it's okay, yeah. The world says it's okay. Yeah, well, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. Everything is good. It's all good. Say what their itching ears want to hear. He says they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. This is real stuff, folks. This isn't, you know, uh, you know, a problem that used to be. This is a problem of today. Another problem with um, false prophets and false teachers is that this is, they want people to follow them. They don't direct people to follow Jesus. They direct people to follow themselves. I want a following, you see. And they'll, they'll take them in all the places. Paul warned again in that passage in, in Acts about the Ephesus uh, leaders, to the Ephesus leaders, he says that even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. They distort the truth because they want people to follow them. It, it, the power of it, whatever it is, to have, you know, my disciples. This is the idea. They, they get these groups of people. And, and again, the immature, the unstable, and the gullible. And, and uh, you think about some of these weird people that have come along. We, we've, we know them in our lifetime. People like Jim Jones and David Koresh and, and that, where they, they want people to follow after them. And they've got some weird thing going on. And there's usually a whole bunch of control that's involved with that. Another thing is this whole thing about greed. Maybe that should have been at the top, I don't know. But motivated often by greed and, and what they can get. They're not, they're not uh, talking about what you know, they can give to the flock and, and feed the flock and help the flock. is what they can get from the flock. John Corson said they'll go after your pocketbooks, concerned not so much about feeding you as they are about fleecing you. The greed, and that's why you see these, these televangelists and, and you, know, you don't see much about their lives when you see it on TV, but when you do a little research and find out that you know, they have these you know, $5 million homes. More than one, some of them. And, and there's been exposés about some of these guys and, and, and just the greed. Uh, Peter said it, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Exploit the flock, fleece the flock, not feed the flock. False prophets, false teachers, they're, they're real. They're, they're out there. They're even now. A few of the, I just want to close with a few of the doctrinal errors and, and issues that are, that are important. I think the number one, and I mentioned this before, is the number one doctrinal issue and error is about the nature and the work of Jesus. 
always number one about Jesus, who Jesus is, what he came to do, who he was. Peter says, and again in 2 Peter chapter 2, and this is a little section I've quoted a few verses from, he says there were false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Denying Jesus Christ who he is and what he did. He goes on to say they bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. So many weird things about, you know, who Jesus is. Let me just read to you a couple here. The Christian science people. Jesus was a man in tune with the divine consciousness, not the Christ. Islam. Jesus was a created being, a prophet, not God. Jehovah's Witnesses. He was a created being. Michael. He was Michael the archangel who became a man. Where'd this come from? The Mormon church. Jesus is a created being. He's a brother of the devil and of all people. You don't hear about this stuff all the time, but this is just weird stuff. This is what they talk about. Now, they don't come along and say, and they have you know, ways that they kind of back up this weird stuff. Spiritualists, Christ himself, and this is so weird. Christ himself was nothing more than a medium of high order. Weird. Eastern mysticism and, and, you know, this kind of philosophy, we say, well, we don't know nothing about that. But, but the truth is, Eastern stuff is, is filtering into our society big time. He says this uh, about Jesus. All religions from times immemorial are just different branches of the main trunk of the inter- eternal uh, religion represented by the Vedas. Christ is considered to be one of a long line of masters who had themselves realized divinity. He's just one in a long line of of these realized masters. There's all kinds of weird, weird stuff. So about who Jesus is, and then secondly, about salvation and about how we get to heaven, if I can put it so simply. A lot of them have these weird requirements it's not just Jesus died on the cross for your sins and, and you, you know, as you believe in him, as you receive him, you are given the right, the power to become a child of God. God adopts you into his family, not because of the works you have done, but because of his grace and his power and his giving of himself on the cross. No, we believe in the cross, but you, know, you also need to come and be baptized. And not only do that, you need to be coming baptized with us. And not only that, you need to be baptized just the way we do it. Now, if you got baptized somewhere else, no, that doesn't, isn't good enough. You need to come here and be baptized just along these particular... Have you any heard this sort of stuff? It's real, folks. It's real. No, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So that no man can boast, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. It's this idea of adding to the scripture, the books. You know, the Christian science people, they have Bible science and health with key to the scriptures. Islam, they have the Quran. Jehovah's Witnesses, they have uh, this Watchtower magazine. That's like a whole machine. 
The Mormons have the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, so on and so forth. We need to get to the Scripture, the truth of the Scripture. Two more Scriptures we want to look at before we close. And, and uh, let's turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20, verse 28. We'll read from that charge to Paul to the Ephesian elders, the overseers, the leaders. There's a serious responsibility to the leadership, but I also think there's a responsibility that each and every one of us have to be on guard. But look at verse 28. Paul says to them, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and, you, and, and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that, that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Watch out, he says. Be on guard. Of course, there's a serious responsibility for leaders to be very careful and watching out. But again, I think we each have that responsibility too. And then the last one in uh, 1 John chapter 4. James, Peter, John, Jude, Revelation. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 1. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And he's not just talking about spirits speaking here, because look what he says. He says, But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that recognizes that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. And one of my favorite verses here in verse 4, he says, You, dear children, are from God and over, have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. There's all kinds of weird stuff out there. We need to test. Don't believe everything you hear. And again, if you start to hear weird stuff here from me or from someone else, listen, check it out, talk to someone about it. Don't just take it at face value, test the spirits. Is it faithful to who Jesus is? Is it faithful to the word of God? Watch out, he says. It's a challenge. It's a warning for each one of us today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. And, and uh, though things maybe don't always go the way we planned them, you are still God on the throne. And you have sent your son Jesus to be our Savior. And if we don't know anything else, that's the most important thing, that you gave your life, Jesus, that we might have life. You died and you were 
crucified and buried and rose from the dead, defeating our sin, paying the price. Father, give us discernment. I pray you'd give us wisdom, understanding. Lord, that we might uh, truly know the truth. And when we know the truth, the truth sets us free. Guide us, protect our church, protect each one of us from, from weirdness. We might go down that narrow path where Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So God, thank you again for all you've given to us by your grace. I pray for any here this morning that, that uh, have never surrendered to Jesus. And they want to go to heaven. They want to go to that, the destination of eternal life. It's very, very simple. And while we're praying, you can simply say along uh, with me, Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. Please forgive me. Wash me of all my sins that I, that I might be one of yours for now and eternity. It's all you need to do. Don't wait another day. We may not have another day. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Dear God, thank you again for your grace and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?